I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. We are embarking on a new theme month, and it's a theme month I have rather looked forward to this month. Our theme is the actor Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. A kind of, a favorite actor of both of us yeah. in various degrees. Probably I'm a slightly larger fan of Sam Rockwell than you. You know, but. I've liked him since some of the, the first stuff that I saw him in, one yeah. of which is actually tonight's film. This is an early Sam Rockwell star vehicle. It might be the first film built around Sam Rockwell as the star. Yeah. It comes from 2002. It is Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Which is, as you informed me. directorial debut of George Clooney, uh, who also appears. The screenplay is written by the great Charlie Kaufman, and it is adapted from Barris's, Chuck Barris's, who this film is about, 1984 biography of the same name. Yeah. Now, going into this film, you knew nothing. I I mean, I knew a little bit of the Chuck Barris story, but I knew very little of this film. Uh So you were aware of who Chuck Barris was and what he was, was famous yeah. for doing. So he was a, wrote some pop songs, at least one, Palisade Parks, which was a Palisade Park, which was a big hit in the early '60s. And prim- principally, he's known for many, many game shows uh, which he produced, uh, most notably the Dating Game, the Newlywed Game, and the Gong Show. Now, when Barris put together his memoir in 1984, he thought he might spice it up a little. So in addition to his uh, career in Hollywood and in television, he also wrote about his work as a hired gun professional assassin for the Central Intelligence Agency. Something which the CIA denies. And something which Which Barris himself said basically he did it to make the autobiography more interesting. But apparently he did apply to work for the CIA. Huh? right around the time that his career took off producing television. Yeah. And his comment in an interview was, I'd always wondered what it would be like if I had done both. Yeah. And so he decided to have some fictional flights of fancy in his memoir and constructs this double life, which makes for a rather interesting film-going experience. Or is this just the way to cover up the fact that he admitted that he worked for the CIA? Indeed. This reminds me in many ways of my one of my favorite podcasts from last year, mm-hmm. which was a podcast called Wind of Change, right. which revolves around the concept that the Scorpions song by the same name, Wind of Change, mm-hmm. which was quite famous, you know, it starts off with Klaus Meine and the whistle, you know, you're familiar mm-hmm. with the song, right? Vaguely. The, the premise is that Klaus Meine didn't write the song, that it was given to him by the CIA to foment change in Western Germany. And in Russia, Mm. primarily in Russia. And he has connections to people who are known to have had connections with the... Like one of the producers of the tour that they were engaged in did actually work for the CIA. We know, And it's well known that the CIA planted singers and other people, you know, in things overseas for that purpose. But yeah, that's the whole premise of the podcast is that Klaus Meine didn't write Wind of Change that Mm -hmm. the CIA did. But yeah, I mean, something like this, it's not entirely implausible the fact you know whether or not he did everything he claimed to do in the, the biography yeah okay mm. but it could also just be something to cover up the fact that he admitted that he worked for the cia so uh it's been a long time since i've seen this this film it's been probably 15 years yeah and i remember when i first saw it really really liking it 
And I think part of that was because it was one of the first R-rated films that I saw. And its tone is so different. And the tone works surprisingly well. Yeah. Because it's going back and forth between, you know, this cheesy biopic. And at points it gets really pretty dang dark. It's written by Charlie Kaufman, who's a great writer, and it gets very Kaufman-esque towards the end. Um, yeah. I'm thinking particularly of the sequence where he's having a breakdown on the set of The Gong Show. Yep. And it just, yeah, it gets, it's extremely Kaufman-esque there. Uh, but, of course, there's, there's lighter periods uh, in it, and it has some interesting play that it does, you know, with the story, how it talks about how... Barris would chaperone these contestants from the dating game and that their destinations was be, would be built around where the CIA needed him to perform a, a hit. And there's that one sequence where the, the couple wins and they're all excited to find out where they're going. They're like, fabulous, West Berlin! And they're cheering and smiling and then the, the look changes on their faces as they realize, West Berlin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's some great scenes and plot points in this. Like, also the uh, contestant who wins out over Brad Pitt and uh, Matt Damon, Damon. Yep. who turns out to have been a KGB spy. Yeah. yeah. There was a joke in here that I don't know if you noticed. I don't know if I ever noticed before. But when Chuck Barris is being trained as a CIA assassin, which, based on the chronology of the film, which is kind of loose, in fact, there's a lot of even ignoring the CIA stuff, there's a lot of compression and chronological problems. For example, Chuck Barris is shown as only having the one ma- major love interest in, in Drew Barrymore when he was actually married three times. Yeah. And so she is a composite character. But in the, in the end of the CIA training sequence, he's saying goodbye to some of his fellow trainees. And one of them, he says, goodbye, Lee. Yeah. And this scene would have taken place in 1963, because his next scene is his first hit in 1964, so that could be a Lee Harvey Oswald joke. Oh, yeah. He said, There's someone else he says bye to in that scene. It's not just Lee. Yeah, it's somebody else first, but I, I think the joke was with the, the use of the name Lee. Yeah. That ran through my head briefly, but I didn't, I didn't catch it firm enough to actually, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So Sam Rockwell, of course, plays Chuck Barris. It's a solid performance. Sporting cast include, of course, uh, Drew Barrymore as Penny, his longtime love interest, and George Clooney plays the man who recruits him for the CIA and is his principal contact, and Julia Roberts plays a lady who uh, is also a contact of his in the intelligence services whom he has a relationship with. Maggie Gyllenhaal appears in a brief part early in the film as a woman who Barris briefly dates, and in fact... Drew Barrymore's Penny is her roommate, and they have one of the more memorable meet-cutes in the history of film, uh, where Barris, after having relations, goes into the kitchen to get something out of the refrigerator, stark naked, and Drew Barrymore comes in and proceeds to start a conversation with him very casually. Yeah. It's kind of a a sweet moment. Yeah. In a weird, weird way. There's a lot of common faces in this film. Robert John Burke, you know, plays the instructor... Brad Pitt and Matt Damon are their credited roles are Brad Bachelor One and Matt Bachelor Two. Michael Sarah um, appears briefly as a young Chuck Barris. I believe you thought that it was I wondered if it was Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Those two often get confused for each other. 
Yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal is also in this briefly. In fact, she's the roommate of Drew Barrymore's Penny. As I just which said. Which is, yeah. Which is that connection. I didn't remember if you'd said they were roommates, but yeah. Richard Kind is in it. And it's always fun oh, yeah. to see Richard Kind yep. and his uh, smiling face. And Rutger Hauer uh, is in it as the German assassin. Yeah. Yeah, Julia Roberts, I understand, who plays Patricia Watson. I understand her and Drew Barrymore both worked for scale on this. They both did the roles for like $250,000 in order to keep this under its budget. And, of course, it's a reteaming of Rockwell and Drew Barrymore from a couple years previous. Maybe maybe it was even the previous year in the original uh, Charlie's Angels. Oh, yeah. I forgot that they appeared in that together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was a lot of people, I think, in this film doing favors for George. <laughs> That's probably probably a safe bet. Well, there's really not. How did you feel about this, um, watching it, like revisiting it? How did you think it held up versus the first time you saw it? Well, the first thing that came to mind was, man, this is a lot more sexual than I remember it being, especially near the beginning. It's, it's, yeah. it's very sexual because it talks about how Barris's overriding motivator in life was finding ways to get women. Yeah. And that's why he pursued uh, first the songwriting and then the work in television. And a lot of views of Sam Rockwell's butt. Yeah, there's a lot of Sam Rockwell standing around. Standing in, in front naked, of the TV Naked nude, days. Or in front of a fridge or, mm-hmm. yeah. I also really enjoyed that shot where he's in the hotel and the TV station signing off playing the anthem and he's standing there at attention. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this film was pretty good. You said you had a really strong or a real favorable impression of it the first time you saw it? Yeah. I guess we're getting all ready to ratings. How would you rate this film? Well, you know, watching it again, I'm not as enthusiastic about it as I was the first time. And in fact, there were times watching it where I was thinking to myself, is this good or is this bad? Because it's kind of bad, but it's kind of intentionally bad. So you have to think it you know, kind of where they're coming from on this. That this this is a satire. It's very meta. It is a subject that George Clooney is interested in, which is media and media manipulation. That is really a through line in his work. Uh, you'd see it in his next major film, which was Good Night and Good Luck. You'd see it in The Ides of March and, and other films that he did. Yeah. It's been very consistent. And, of course, he comes from a media family. His aunt was Rosemary Clooney. And his father was Nick Clooney, who was a, a newsman for quite a few years and a host on AMC, back when AMC was more like If I'm TCM. not mistaken, he at one point worked in Fox 13 here in Salt Lake City. Well, very well may have. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it. I would probably give it two and a half, three stars, uh, and probably six or seven on a ten-star scale. We uh, once again find ourselves closely aligned on this one. I'd give this two and a half on the four-star scale and seven on the ten. Do you know much about this in terms of box office numbers? Uh, no, refresh me. I am not familiar. I'm looking for it right now. It had a, a box office budget of $30 million. It had an opening weekend of $87,000 in 2003. Its U.S. gross was, was a mere $16 million. With this is saying its cumulative worldwide gross was a was merely $33 million. Basically a break-even. Yeah. You tend to say that a break-even on these numbers is not a break-even by the time you factor in advertising. Yeah. 
But I don't imagine there was a huge advertising budget on this. Movie. Well, and I've heard actually the budget numbers are conflicting. I saw somewhere else that it had a $20 million budget. Okay. So I wonder if this included the advertising and whatnot. But yeah, not what you would call a not a, hit. a glowing success, yeah. uh, um, which got, is interesting for George Clooney's debut. It got pretty good critical ratings. Uh, I believe it's a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it made several uh, top 10 of the year list for yeah. 2002. Yeah, I'd say it's a solid film. We both wanted to include this in, in our uh, Sam Rockwell month. Or primarily you were the one pushing on this. But it was one I was willing to see because I knew it was... I was aware of the fact that it was... Sam Rockwell's performance was viewed very well in this film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I had this... You know, I, I'd been eyeing it as soon as we started talking about Sam Rockwell... But you were the one that's familiar with this one. So, yeah, it was... Uh, Not for all audiences by any stretch of the imagination. No, but I'm glad I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to continuing it through Sam Rockwell month. And I'm sure that at some point we're going to talk about other Sam Rockwell works that we're not actually watching this month. And if you want to work ahead, the other three titles that we're going to be doing in this month's episode are Matchstick Men, The Way Way Back, and... Three billboards. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. But I believe we're doing it in the order of Matchstick Men, Three Billboards, then The Way Way Back. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you want to do some homework and, and follow along for the rest of the month, those are the other three films we're going to be watching. Though, it's hard to, to go wrong picking a Sam Rockwell movie. Of course, he's won an Oscar for Vice. And he recently was in Jojo Rabbit. And won the Oscar for Three Billboards, actually. No, no, you're right. And he was nominated for Vice but didn't win for that one. But yeah, we'll uh, be back with more Sam Rockwell. I'm, and if there's nothing else, nope. I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. You got a quip for us as we oh, check Oh, do I have a quip for, it, for us for today? Yeah. Indeed. You know, I, I, I thought it was kind of funny. I, I don't, you probably think so too, that, that Donald Trump's campaign theme song was YMCA was the one that would always play, do his little dance to YMCA. It's the only thing he knows how to dance to? Well, I, I was just thinking, if he was going to make his theme song a catchy 1970s dance number, wouldn't Do the Hustle be more appropriate? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've heard lots of jokes about the irony of, um, you know, the village people yeah. being... You know what I mean? Is he trying to tell us something? Is this a cry for help?